Well, we're continuing our study through Revelation, and we've been talking about the churches in Revelation, and a few weeks ago we started a two-parter, which hopefully will be not a three-parter, but started a two-parter about the church in Philadelphia. Just a, a real brief recap. Revelation 3, verse 7, the Bible says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true. He is the one who has the key of David. He opens doors and no one can shut them. He shuts doors and no one can open them. I know all the things you do and I have opened a door for you that no one can shut. You have little strength that you have obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Look, I am coming quickly. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it. And I will write my God's name on them and they will be the citizens in the city of my God. The new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God, and they will have my new name inscribed on them. Anyone who's willing to hear should listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Now, that's, the, that's one of the churches, the few, that no correction or rebuke was, was mentioned. It was all about persevering and understanding where God knew where they were. And we covered the first two verses of that. And those two verses write this to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true. He's the one who has the key of David. He opens doors and no one can shut them. He shuts doors and no one can open them. And I, if you remember, I kind of put my own little paraphrase together. It's a loose paraphrase. It says, I'm the holy one, the perfect God who does all things well. I'm the true God, one who is faithful to do all he has said. I have authority over every situation. There's nothing that I cannot control. I'm the one who begins things that man cannot stop and stop things that man cannot revive. Now, we're not going to go into those because we talked about them last time. But just the fact that knowing that God knows what's going on around us. How many, how many sometimes wonder about that? Does God really know what I'm going through? Well, the Bible says he knows everything that's going, going on. And how many have heard or used the phrase, if God closes the door, look for a window? The Bible says if he closes the door, it's shut. You're not going to open it. So maybe not look for a window. Wait for God to open another door. Verse 8, we'll continue on. It says, I know all the things you do, and I've opened a door for you that no one can shut. You have little strength, yet you have obeyed my word and did not deny me. In other words, I, think, I know you think you don't have the strength or resources to continue. But since you've remained faithful, keep, you've kept my word, not denied me, you are still vital in my kingdom. In other words, in spite of what you're going through, I have a plan for you. Don't give up. You ever feel like giving up? I mean, you pray and you pray and you pray, nothing happens. Walls don't come down. Healings don't happen. And you say, what's the use? This church was going through a lot of struggle and God says, don't give up. There's still something I'm going to do with you. And again, the loose bender paraphrase, 
I see what you've been doing and I'm impressed. In fact, I'm going to give you another assignment to, compete, to complete. Now, I know you don't think you can do it, but you've been able to keep my word and not deny me in the face of the sin in this city. So yes, with me, you are able to do it. And if you remember, I had one of these kind of loose, and I say that loose, it's not any kind of, don't build doctrine on my paraphrase. But basically it goes like this, Dear Church in Dover, I want to let you know that even if your situation causes you not to feel like it, I'm still the holy God, the one who is forever. I'm also the true God. Don't let anyone convince you that what I promise isn't true. You see, I have the authority to do whatever I want. I'm more than able to meet your needs, regardless of what may be going on around you. There may be struggles and opponents in your life, but they have no power over you. I control even the bad things. Nobody can change what I want to do for you. I see what you've been doing, and I'm impressed. In fact, I'm going to give you another assignment to complete. Now, I know that you don't think you can do it, but, I'm able to, but you've been able to keep my word and not deny me in the face of the sin that's in this city. So yes, with me, you're able to do it. That excites me. And not because it's, you know, my words, but it's because it's God's word. You ever read a passage that you really, it really jumps out at you? And it's, it, it's, it seems to speak to you? You may have read it 50 times, but this time you're reading it, it, it really ministers to you? I read that, and as I'm preparing this, I'm really convinced that this is like for us. And I'm excited for what God has in store next for us. Remember, these aren't written to any particular church. They can be written to any church at any time, and they can also be written to individuals at any time. And I feel that God is in the process of bringing revival in these last days. How many feel that in your spirit, that God's doing something? We've been having prayer meetings second and fourth Thursday. We're getting more and more people to pray. We have prayer in the services, we have prayer in our own personal times, and we're seeing God bring about things that we've been praying for for a long time. We're seeing answered prayer. But we're, what we're also seeing is a, now you're gonna have a divide in the churches. You're gonna have the true churches that really buckle down and start praying and trusting God. And then you're gonna have the ones that really aren't biblical churches and they're going to start, it's going to be a divide now. They're going to start spreading apart. We're going to be a whole lot different in our, in our, in our thinking, in our theology, and what we do. And you can, you can see it now in some of the church signs that are out there, some of the things that are going on that you think, what are they thinking? I saw a sign, and I, this was, again, my personal thing. Don't take this as gospel but I saw a church sign that says, the only way you're gonna get in that church is if, if you have a vaccine passport. I have a problem with that. Because the Bible says, if you're sick, you need to come and be prayed for. And that's gonna keep people away who need the gospel. Now we're smart about stuff like that, but we want people to come and we don't wanna have any barriers to keep them from coming because they need Christ. And I think as time winds down, God's gonna give us more to accomplish, but he's also gonna give us the ability to do it. 
If, this, if these really are the last days, and the rapture, as we know, is, could happen any moment, if that's where we're living, then our job is to end well. A lot of people in the Bible started well, but they didn't end too well. We want to be able to end well so that when either our life is done or the rapture happens, we've done everything we can to bring people to know Christ. Pray for people, encourage people, love people. The New Living Translation says it this way, I know all the things you do, and I've opened the door for you that no one can shut. You have little strength, yet you've obeyed my word and did not deny me. And I kind of equate that, you have little members. We're not a megachurch. But we've obeyed God's word, and so God says, I've got stuff for you to do. There are things for you, Dover Assembly, to do in these last days. Now, this is about halfway through his talk or his letter to that church in Philadelphia. And the first part talked about what the people have done, how they've been faithful, they've, they've toughed it out, they've stuck to God's word. The second part talks about now what God is going to do in response to that. Verse 9 says, I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. That's the first half. That's the same thing he wrote to the church in Smyrna. Revelation 2.9 says, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. These are the folks who vehemently denied Christ. These are Jews who denied Jesus was Messiah. Now, these were Jews by birth, but they weren't Jews as the Bible describes them. Because in the Bible, it's not by birth that you're considered a, a true Jew, but it's your spiritual condition that considers them a true Jew. In other words, to be born again, that means you're part of Abraham's family. Look at Romans 9, 6, it says, it is not as though God's word has failed, for all who are descended from Israel are Israel, or not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the natural children who are God's children, but it's the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. So to be considered a true biblical or Old Testament Jew, you would have to be a Messianic Jew. Galatians 3, 6 says, Consider Abraham. He believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. Not everybody who's Jewish and descended from Abraham are children of Abraham in, in the Bible sense. Galatians 3.29 says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The Jews who believed, they were carrying out God's plan, right? But they were carrying out as Jews. They were living by the Old Testament. They had no authority under God to do anything in his name because they weren't following what the Old Testament had taught. They were deceived into thinking that everything that was written in the Old Testament was about them and them alone, and the law was what was going to get them right with God. They were deceived. You know what the takeaway is from that? And I know you all know this. Just because you were born into a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. If your parents are Christians or your grandparents are Christians, it doesn't count in your relationship to God. If you believe that you're a Christian simply because you were raised in a church, but you never made that choice yourself, 
You're like these Jews. Believing that you're Christian, but you're not. How many have heard this phrase, you don't get, the church doesn't save you, right? I don't save you, church doesn't save you. Going to church all your life doesn't save you, doesn't give you right relationship with God. It's a relationship with Christ that makes you right with God, whether you're in a church or not. How often do we hear from, quote, religious leaders that the Bible isn't reliable, or that we can only believe certain parts of the Bible, or Jesus was just a good man. How many have heard that before? Or that hell isn't real. That was a big one a couple years ago. Or your good life is enough for God. Or that man isn't a sinner in need of a savior. It happens all the time. How many funerals I've done, you don't know the person's relationship. But you really have a good idea based on what the family says and their lifestyle. How do you do a funeral for someone who you know wasn't a Christian? And they think, the family all thinks they're going to heaven. Those are the worst. The current leaders and preachers today are deceived just like the Jews were back in that day because they are now persecuting the church. How many have heard the term progressive Christianity? Another phrase that's being used today is deconstructing Christianity. How many have heard that phrase? Deconstructing, that means people who were Christian at one time now are denouncing that particular faith. And it simply means replacing uncomfortable tenets of faith with culturally or personally popular ideas. People who are deconstructing Christianity or they're called progressive Christians, they don't like any of the negative things in the Bible. They like the good stuff, but they've deleted all the bad stuff. They've deleted hell, they've deleted judgment, all that kind of stuff. And they replace it with feel-good things that aren't in the Bible that makes people, oh, that sounds good to me, that, that works for me. That's what's happening, and that's what is going to divide the churches at some point, and it's starting to be, happen now. And what does John say about those folks? He doesn't say they're misguided, right? He doesn't say, well, you know what, they're close, but, you know, they're still brothers. No, he says, they are the synagogue of Satan. Why? Because they claim to be a true biblical church, and they're not. And they're leading people who are searching for truth away. In other words, they're lying to them. And who is the father of lies? The enemy, right? He doesn't mince words. He kind of lays it out for them. Jesus always had the harshest criticism toward religious leaders. Why? Because they're leading other people astray. People in whom trust has been placed only to have them betray that trust. That's why God says, if you're, if you're teaching God's word, you better be careful because you're going to get judged worse than everybody else. Here's a loaded question. Why do you think people dislike politicians so much? You're going to need a stenographer for that one. It's a long list. But I think basically it's because we put our trust in them to do the right thing 
and then they don't. And what happens? We get outraged because they basically lied to us what they're going to do, and they don't do it. So what does Jesus say is going to happen to those people? The second half of verse 9 says, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Now, according to the commentaries, there's two possible meanings for this. The first one comes from Philippians 2.10. It says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So either at some point, everyone's going to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, whether they're Christian or not, and those who aren't will be judged. Or more, than, more likely or more hopeful is that revival will come and those folks will be saved. Now the Bible says there's gonna be a falling away of the church in the last day. We're kinda, I think we're seeing that now. But there's also gonna be a revival. And in, in the tribulation, we'll find out later in the series, 144,000, those are Jews that God raises up to be evangelists who are basically impervious to any kind of harm for a while and they have revival. But the Bible says everyone is going to acknowledge that that's true. Verse 10 goes on saying, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole earth to test those who live on the earth. This is a command kind of for all of us, that we endure the trials of life with patience and faith. Now, we don't like to do that. What does John say in John 16? I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. 2 Timothy 2, 2, endure hardship like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4, 5, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship. Part of the Christian walk is hardship. And that's part of life, right? Now, I, when I pray, I just think, like, God, did you forget about me? My life's pretty good. I'm not having any hardship right now, as opposed to some people I know that you're all having difficult times. But compared to how many other people are having worse times than us. We all have different types of hardship. And the Bible says God knows how much you can handle of that hardship. And God's gonna push you to the limit. Not so he knows, but so that you know how much you can endure. We've never said from the front that being a Christian doesn't keep you from hardship but it gives you the ability to endure that hardship and give you something that the world doesn't have. So when you have difficulties, and as we prayed earlier, we saw earlier, be joyful about those, not that you're happy about them, but you're joyful in them. People will see you and they will want to know why you have that. God gives you the peace. And what's that peace? Knowing that God is holding us through it all. Isaiah 43, 2 says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. It doesn't take us around them. It takes us through them. How do you know that God's with you unless you're in a situation that you need God to be with you? 
I wrote here, we all endure some kind of pain in our lives, some more than others. There are people that endure massive amounts of hardship and pain. And you wonder how they get through it. Well, the Bible tells us that God gives them that ability to get through it. And it's not until you are there, I think, that God gives it to you. It's not like you walk around every day with this ability and then, this, then it hits you, but you already have the ability stored up. I think it's just the opposite. You don't have that ability until the minute you need it. I always wonder what happens if persecution comes here before the tribulation. Now, I think I would be able to stand up under it, but what happens if it's my kids or my grandkids that are part of that persecution? Then, that's a different story, right? That's when you think, okay, God, you gotta give it to me, because I'm not gonna have it. And I think at that point, God will give it to you, at that point. Since Jesus is telling the church in Philadelphia that they've kept his command to endure, it's obvious they've had some hardship. But what's he telling them because of that? He's gonna keep them from the hour of trial. What's the hour of trial? Again, differing opinions on that. Some view it as a tribulation. Others view it as troubles in our own walk of life. But if you look at the way it's written, verse 10 says, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I like the New American Standard, which is kind of the most accurate word for word. It says, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come on the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. It talks about something that's gonna happen universally to everyone, not individually. The whole world is gonna receive this test. All those who are dwelling at that moment are gonna receive that test. So I believe that's the tribulation. If you're talking about something that happens universally, it doesn't specify them as a church, it doesn't specify them as individuals or as Christians in general, it talks about the whole world experiencing it. And it also says they will be spared from it. First Thessalonians chapters one and five talk about the church being spared from the tribulation. First Thessalonians 1.10. And to wait for, for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. First Thessalonians 5.9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The letters are written to the churches. Then, now. After chapter four in Revelation, church isn't mentioned till the very end. So all the stuff talking about what happens during the tribulation, there is not one mention of the church being involved. So I believe that this reference is talking about being raptured out before the tribulation hits. In other words, they didn't leave the faith because time got hard. And because of that, they're gonna be spared the tribulation. Another indication that it's possible to walk away from your faith. Remember the parable of the sower and the seed? Mark 4, 17 says, since they have, this time about the seed that the sower cast, since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So it's easy to make a, it's easier to, you can make a, profession of faith and have faith in Christ and when the hardships come 
you can walk away. You can say, this is too hard for me. And if persecution comes, it's too hard for me and you can walk away. And it's not just a simple one-time thing. It's a, a pattern in your life that now becomes your life. You no longer have any reference for God. You no longer have any desire to serve God because you've gotten to the point where you've slowly strayed away a little bit. It's got too hard. I'm going to ease up on it. I'm not going to witness as much. I'm not going to read as much. And eventually you find yourself outside. And you no longer want to have any relationship with God. But the Bible says when the persecution comes, if we stick it out and we stay, we stay with God, and it doesn't mean we don't fail throughout it, but our desire and our heart is to still serve God, then we're going to be spared the tribulation. Verse 11 says, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Again, another encouragement to persevere. Hang in there. Christ is coming soon. Don't give up. Don't quit. Hold on to your faith so you'll be victorious. When the difficult times come, it's going to be easy to want to not be a Christian and not want to put up with that. Right now, I think our biggest problem is we get ridiculed and laughed at. You may lose a job. I don't think anyone's being thrown in jail yet or martyred because you're a Christian in this country. But if that time comes, and it's going to come, are we ready for it? Are we able to stand up under it? And the church in Philadelphia experienced all that hardship, and yet they stood up under it. Verse 12 and 13 says, He who ever comes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. Now, pillars we know today and then were used for images of stability. We mentioned that this, er this area earlier was prone to earthquakes. And the pillars were the only thing sometimes that after the earthquakes, they were the only thing left standing. Sometimes after many tribulations in our lives, the only thing we have to hold on to is what? Jesus. Because everything else is gone. Or everything else is of minor importance to what is going on in our life right now. And the only person we can kind of cling to is Jesus. Because work's not going to do it for you. Family's not going to do it for you. Friends aren't going to do it for you. Jesus is the only one that's going to do it for you. And sometimes we become a pillar for somebody else. How many times have you been able to help someone through a situation? You become the pillar that they're able to cling to, but you're clinging to Jesus. This was basically a promise that he will set believers in his future kingdom in such a secure way that nothing is going to shake them. Once the tribulations hits and we're gone, all that stuff's gone. We no longer have to worry about any type of persecution or hardship. And also in this time, a faithful priest or township servant would have a pillar erected in their honor and inscribed with their name. Similar today, we have plaques and statues and stuff, although they're being torn down, but we have them. And the inscribed name signifies identification and ownership. Another way to phrase this sentence might be, he who, he who now has little strength but is able to hang on, I will publicly recognize and reward in a way that is worthy of any noble hero of society. Now, how many of you think of rewards in heaven? 
We all should think of them. The Bible says we should want them. But sometimes we put them on the back burner when we think about rewards right now. I remember when I was, I don't know, sixth, seventh grade, I'm not a sports guy, so I was the equipment guy, all right? And when I was in gym class and the coach at that time said, hey, man, at the end of the year when we have the award ceremony for all the sports guys, we're going to recognize you too. I'm like, cool, fine. So the day comes and they recognize all the sports guys and nothing. And the guy says, hey, man, we're sorry we forgot about you, you know. Yeah, That's just a, of what it's going to be like when the rewards are passed out in heaven. There's going, to, there's going to be a time where everyone is rewarded for what they've done here. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, God's going to judge what we do here and throw it through fire. And if it comes out the other end, gold, silver, precious stones, you got your reward. If what you've done here goes through and it burns up, wood, hay, and stubble, if it burns up, you've got nothing. Now, you'll get in by the skin of your teeth. The Bible says, not in those words, but basically. And you're not going to have any rewards. And you're going to be on the outside looking at the reward ceremony going on. And you're on the outside going, "Eh, I'm here, but nothing for me. And you may not think it's a big deal now, but it's going to be a big deal then. So when we think about what we do here and the persecution and the suffering we have here, God says there's a crown for that, there's a reward for that, to persevere through it. If we only look for rewards and blessings today and we forget about preparing for tomorrow, before you know it, tomorrow's here. You know, it was just about three weeks ago that I got married. And about two weeks ago that I had, we had our four kids. And last week I had five grandkids. It just, before you know it, tomorrow's here. It is fast. And when that time comes, you're going to want those recognitions. You don't think you do now, but you're going to want them at that moment. And God's saying, hey, persevere. I'm going to, I promise you, you'll be rewarded for it. Verse 13 says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And that exact phrase is repeated in all the seven churches. And even though the same phrase is repeated, it means different things to different churches. What it means to Philadelphia is different than what it meant to Sardis, and it's different from what it meant to Laodicea. Because each letter was a specific, has a specific meaning to each church, and the church is supposed to hear what's in that letter. Philadelphia's church told to persevere. Stick it out, man. It's God's coming. Don't, you know, it's hard. I know. Persevere. Sardis is told to be on guard. Listen up, man. Protect yourself from what's outside. Thyatira was warned against false teachers within the church. In other words, we have to be alert to what God is saying to us individually and maybe as a church body. Not what God's saying to somebody else or some other church. What's God saying to me and to you personally? In your prayer life, your devotional life, what is God saying to you? And it's going to be different than what God says to me and to everybody else. But the point is God is saying things to everybody. And when you read and when you take time to pray, God will show you something in his word. That verse will pop out or the devotional that you read will minister to you 
Or as you pray, you'll start praying in the Spirit or something will happen that you know God's speaking specifically to you. We're, Wednesday night class, we've been talking about there's a time for prayer and there's a time for action. God has something in store for this church in Philadelphia and then he's going to give the ability to do it. It wasn't keep praying, praying, praying. That's great, but there's going to come another job for you to do. Your job's not done. You keep praying, I've got something more for you to do. And the question is, are we going to do whatever it takes to do what God has for us? What's God saying to us? Well, I think God's saying, pray for revival here. Because a lot of people have said that to me, that God's telling that to them. That's been my prayer, and that's been Anna's prayer, and I know some of you have been praying that thing. And I think we started that process. I mentioned at the beginning, more and more prayer are going up, and we're seeing small but significant answers to prayer. And I think revival is just beginning. What's God got for us? And I think God's getting us ready for the next step of what is going to happen. My old pastor used to say, the church needs to be ready for what God is going to do, not for what God is doing now. Because if we're not ready for what God is going to do, when it happens, we won't be ready. Right now we have a number of Sunday school classes and a youth group and all that stuff, and right now it's small. But we have the structure in place for when God pours his spirit out and we fill this place. Now you notice we decreased the number of chairs just to give us more room to pray. But those chairs are there. They're ready. If we've got to put them all out, it's another 40 or 50 chairs in there that we can put in here. We're ready for what God wants to do. We're not going to be scrambling, looking for buying chairs when God starts pouring out his spirit. We're not going to be scrambling for teachers and classrooms and everything else because we have them. The Bible says, get ready. In these last days, I'm pouring out my spirit on all flesh, the Bible says. And the last question he says is basically, are we listening to the spirit? When you pray individually and when we pray as a church, are we listening to what God is saying to us? And I think we're doing that. And I'm excited for what God has next. We want to end well. I'm reading, starting in Genesis, I'm reading through again. You know who didn't end well? Isaac. Started great. Didn't end too well. Read, read his story, and you'll see he stopped trusting God and started trusting his own feelings and what was going on. We don't want to do that. We want to trust God through everything so that when our life is over, we end well. That we have poured out everything we have on this side so that when we get to the other side, God will say, well done. Good and faithful servant, you get, we did everything I've told you to do. And because of that, more and more people are blessed, more and more people came to know Christ because we were faithful. Would you stand as we close? Close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. It's only two minutes after I'll get you out of here in another half hour or so.
Maybe you're here this morning, you've never really made a decision for Christ. Maybe you're like one of those folks, like I was, you raised in a church, but you didn't really go. Or you've been in church all your life and you've never made a commitment and, well, because my parents were Christians, I'm good. Maybe that's you. But the Bible says if you've not made that decision yourself, personally, then you're just as lost as someone who doesn't go to church at all. And when judgment day comes, you'll be on the outside looking in. Jesus says, in the last days, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these great things for you? And Jesus says, depart from me, I, don't, I don't, never knew you. If you're here, the Bible says that today is a day of salvation, not tomorrow, not next week. Today is the day that God is drawing you. And if you're here, it's not by accident it's here because God ordained you to be here for some reason, whether to hear something I said, something a testimony said, something that was happening today, God put you here because you needed to hear it. And he did all those things to line you up so you're able to receive the love he has for you in Christ. The Bible says we're all sinners. We're all sinners. And the wages of our sin is death, which is permanence away from God. The Bible also says that Jesus is the gift that God gives us so we can avoid all of that. And it's simply a gift. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to do anything for it. You do have to believe it, though. And not just head knowledge. You have to believe it in your heart. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the doorway of your heart and he knocks. But you have to open the door. And the Bible also says if you're thinking about God, it's because God's making you think about him. All of that, all of that put together so that you accept God's free gift of salvation through Christ. To have your sins washed clean, to be right before God. Knowing, the Bible says, these things are written that you may know you have eternal life. Be confident of the fact that when my life is over, your life is over, we are guaranteed to be in heaven. Not because I think so or someone told me. The Bible says you can know. So if you're here and you've never made that commitment to Christ or maybe you made it years ago and you've never followed through on it, this is the day to get right with God. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I'm gonna pray with you right now. Father, we do thank you for the gift that we have in Christ. We thank you for the many blessings you've poured out upon our life. And we thank you for where you're bringing us from, what you're bringing us to. Lord, we're excited to see what's next in store for us. Nervous because it may be difficulty, but excited for what we see the hand of God doing in our midst. We continue to pray for revival, both personally and corporately, that you would pour your spirit out upon this township and allow people to see what you're doing here and draw them in so they will be saved. We want to end well, Lord. We want to do all that we can. We want to use up everything you've given us here so that people will come to know you. And I just pray your continued blessing upon each one of us. Give us divine appointments. Give us the opportunity to talk about Christ wherever we go and allow that to be anointed by you and allow those who hear it to receive it with gladness. 
Use us in whatever way you want to, Lord. Revive us. Fill us with your spirit. Give us your wisdom and direction. And allow all that we see, as we heard this morning, the testimonies of your healing, all the glory and the credit goes to you, Father. We are just simply being obedient to what your word says. We want you to get the credit. Because if you get the credit, you get the glory, then you do the work. we're We're just your servants. And we pray that you would use us so that your name is glorified. So Lord, I pray your blessings upon each one here. Bless us for a great Thanksgiving. If we're not here on Wednesday night, I pray that each family would honor you and love you throughout the remainder of this week. We ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. See you Wednesday night for Thanksgiving Eve service. And then next Sunday again, we go through more of Revelation.